But as we gather this morning, we are continuing our Lace Up series. And Lace Up um, is very much a series that's following along that of our verse for the year 2022. If you have not yet heard me speak of the verse for the year, you've either tuned me out or you've not been here and not caught up online because I'm a bit of a broken record at the moment and I will continue to be and make no apologies. Um, our verse for the year 2022 is Hebrews uh, 12, 1 and 2, uh, kind of a, an abridged version, if you will. Run the race with perseverance, fixing your eyes on Jesus. And I really firmly believe that, that we're called to do that in all times, in all seasons, but I feel that God is asking of, uh, that of us for this year in particular. And we have these little cards that you can take with you. Um, you can take as many as you want. I've yet been asked if there's a limit, um, to which my answer would be no. I can order more. Take them, put them in your Bibles, put them in your books. Um, if you feel that they would bless somebody, take them to somebody they would bless. On the back of the card um, is a space for you to write maybe what God is calling you to this year. And the reason it's there is because the truth of the matter is if God calls you to something, it'll probably get challenging. It's going to get difficult. And in those moments when it's difficult, you can pull this out and say, God, I know you called me to this, and therefore I will run the race with perseverance, and I will fix my eyes on Jesus. I know I sound like a broken record, but I believe that we need this more than ever before. And I've also shared, and there aren't a huge amount available on the pews, but there are more being made, I'm told, by the children. Uh, hand prayers and memory verses. And these came out. They were made by the children in their group. Um, and a real simple way of praying, using your hand. It's really, um, essentially, each finger represents a point of prayer. We can praise God, confess our sins, thank God, pray for others, and pray for ourselves. And then our palm is number six. We close in the name of Jesus. Um, and I'll be honest, it's been a real help to us in our household. Sometimes we've been like, well, what do we pray? I don't know what to say. And if nothing else, we go, you know what? We're going to praise God. We're going to confess our sins. We're going to thank God. We're going to pray for others. and we're going to pray for ourselves. And we're going to close. So it's an encouragement. Uh, and the children have loved that others have actually thanked them for them as well. A few of the kids have been a part of that. So do take. And if you want some, ask the kids specifically. And it'll build up their, hey, we got to make some more. And they're excited about that as well. Anyways. This morning, we continue Lace Up, and we focus specifically on perseverance in the pits. Not the catchiest of titles, let's be honest. The word pits can take you into all sorts of different places, but we're going to go with the pits, the valleys, the dark places, the difficult times. Perseverance in the pits. Now, I, I, I don't know where you are this morning. I always say, good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? And if anybody says anything, I get a good, great, thanks, all right. Chances are, though, that's pretty much a lie. I mean, no, that's not true. That may be not fair. Some of us are possibly doing really well, really great. Awesome. Thank you for asking. Praise the Lord. Others of us might be doing, you know what? Praise God. Life is good, but man, it's tough. And others of us, if we're really honest with ourselves and with others, are in the pits. This morning, I'm talking to you, but I put myself there as well. Now, for those of you who might be sitting there going, well, I'm not in the pits, Adrian, so what does that mean? Do I turn off? No, because I can guarantee that if you are not in the pits, if you're not going through it right now, you know someone who is. Either in this place right now, or in your house, with your friends, in your workplace, and so today, I'll make no apologies that we're going to go a bit heavy. But I believe that it's okay because God is with us. Amen? Okay, one or two believe that maybe. Whew, might be a heavier morning than expected. 
I believe that sometimes we need to really push into God, especially if we're in the pits. And, and, and I don't mean by the pits, oh, it's a bit difficult. I mean that actually everything feels super heavy, that like everything feels like the world almost feels like it's against you. It feels like nothing is changing. It feels like you're crying out for help and there is nothing changing. You know, the last, the last two weeks, and I need to pause and say, God is good in the fact that this series, in terms of even what, what the general topics are for every, for every Sunday, have, have been planned for a while. And so I can't even tell you that this is like, a, oh, you know what? I had a conversation this week, and it's a bit tough for some of us, so let me preach. Not at all. The series has been, you know, and I know where we're going next week, and Chris, God is good in fact that he gave us a breakdown. <laughs> but God is also challenging in the fact that he gave me and us a breakdown. You know, you know that, that saying that you may have heard, don't ask God for something or he'll essentially give it to you in the ways that you don't expect? An example, don't pray for patience because what he'll do is not give you patience, but he'll send you an Adrian to try your patience. It might not be an Adrian. There might be another name there, but let's be honest. I'm sure I try plenty of y'all's patience. And it's often the same way. Don't pray for perseverance or God's going to put you in a situation where... You have to grow that perseverance. You have to push in deep. It's not just going to be like, oh, give me perseverance, Lord. And I kind of feel that this is part of it. I kind of feel that God's given these words to share this message. I'm like, yeah, woohoo. And then God's like, okay, Adrian, now practice what you preach. And I honestly try to do that every, every Sunday, every day, no matter what. But this particular series has kind of hit home with me. Kind of going, oh, wow, really, God? Okay. This, this past week... Um, the last two weeks for me have been really challenging weeks. If you allow me a moment of pure honesty. <laughs> really challenging weeks. I've had people, I've had conversations and experiences with people where they have chosen their addictions, their brokenness over that of family, over that of freedom, over that of friends. I have this week sat with someone who through absolute brokenness and tears and anguish declared to me that they are self-medicating with pornography. Now pause before your mind starts wandering off. It's no one you know, it's no one from this church. Don't unfocus, focus. Because our minds are like, ooh, do I know him? Who is it? I wonder what. It ain't about gossip. I have this week had conversations with people who are crying out and are desperate, battling anxieties, depression, life in general. I, this week, spent two hours right here in this space with my awesome, amazing wife, Amanda, worshiping, crying out to God. And what I heard him say and revealed to me is that I am carrying stuff I shouldn't be carrying. I'm carrying anger. Anger, some of it being righteous, some of it anger for other people, some of it anger in the, oh, come on, why is this happening to these people? Why is that the situation? And some of the anger that I just don't need to be carrying. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's too real too fast, but I doubt that. The reality is, is that you have rubbish in your life. And if you don't, those around you do. Someone that we are journeying with or ourselves are in the pits. 
I've been feeling pretty in the pits. And I share these things, please hear me clearly. I share these things not to be like, oh, Adrian, woe is you. I'm so sorry for you. I'm so... I'm not asking for extra hugs, even though I do have the hug sticker. That's not what I'm asking for at the end of service. Although do please pray for me and pray for others whose names you don't even know. Just pray. I don't share these things to seek pity or mercy or any of that stuff. I share these things to be real. We don't always like real. Real is uncomfortable. Some of y'all are sat there right now going, oh, of all the days to come to church, why did I come today? If I was watching online, I could turn him off. And I won't be offended if you walk out. I generally won't. I won't pursue you and be like, oh, what did I say? It's awkward. It's weird. It's difficult, but it's real. Life is messy. Perhaps you're not feeling it, but someone around you is, I promise you that. But the Bible doesn't shy away from messiness. At all. In, in, in fact, the Bible speaks into our messiness. We came around the table today to remember what Jesus has done for us. That his death, his body, his blood, broken for us, is guess for what? Our mess. Your mess. We like to put it in a nice little box and we call that sin and we call that trial and tribulation, but it's a nice little box. It sits there. But no, no, no. It's not a nice little neat box. It's mess. He came and took the cross for your mess, for mine, and it's messy. And the scriptures don't shy away from messiness. The Bible doesn't teach, and I've said it before, doesn't teach, come to faith and life will be easy. Come to faith and mess is completely cleared. You will have no difficulties. You will have no trials. Actually, it's quite the opposite. We see in Scripture that those who give their lives to following God actually face some horrendous stuff. And if I'm honest, when I look at my stuff in comparison to some of the stuff from people in the Bible, I kind of go, you know what, Lord, I've got it easy. <laughs> but my stuff, my heaviness is not heavier. It does not feel lighter. It feels heavier than theirs because it's mine. The same way your mess and your heaviness will feel heavier than mine or anybody else's. Because it's yours. So don't let anybody tell you that your mess isn't heavy enough. Or that you're not worth the time because there's somebody messier than you. Jesus took the cross for everyone's mess. But scripture doesn't shy away from the mess. In fact, one of the, the, the Bible characters that, that I'm going to be looking at today, and, and we cannot go into every bit of scripture, but I'm going to encourage you to read it, um, is a character of Job. And some of you probably already knew, oh, he's talking about perseverance. He's talking about trial. He's going to go into Job. And if you don't know your scriptures, I recommend you go dive into Job. Um, if it takes an average, and this is globally average of 1.7 hours to read Job from the beginning to the end. It's 42 chapters. You kind of go, <gasps> A lot. It's not that much. If you gave 15 minutes a day for the next seven days, you would be done by next Sunday. If you're a slow reader, give a little bit more. If you're a fast reader, give a little bit less. If you're not a reader, but you want to listen, it's on the Bible app. You can listen to it. It'll read it to you. But I encourage you to read Job. For the purposes of today, I'm going to give a summary of Job. I'm going to read from one of the commentators a really brief but specific summary. And it gives you a bit of an overview of what's going on. And then we're going to dive into some specific scripture. Is that okay with y'all? 
You're still with me. Amen. Thank you. Goodness gracious. Started heavy and I just landed y'all down there going, mm-hmm, I'm done. <laughs> Here we go. As one of the commentators um, summarizes Job and it says this, the book of Job is a narrative history. Its author is unknown, yet it's possible that Job himself wrote it. In Job, we see a man whom God allows to be directly attacked by Satan, the enemy. He's an example of faithfulness as he loses everything important to him, yet remains faithful to God. Its purpose is to illustrate God's sovereignty and faithfulness during a time of great suffering, during a time of being in the pits. In chapters 1 through 3, God tests Job's faithfulness through allowing Satan to attack him. God told Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Through Job's trials, all is lost, including his health. His wife even tells him to curse God and commit suicide. But he remains strong and faithful. Through all this, Job did not sin, or did not, uh, or, nor did he blame God. From chapters 4 to chapters 37, Job's friends give him plenty of bad advice in rounds of discussion. They mistakenly blame his sufferings on his personal sins rather than God testing and growing Job. One of them was half correct in that God wanted to humble Job, but this was only a part of God's test. Basically, his friends pushed the false narrative that God blesses us when we are sinless and punishes us when we are sinful. That's not true. And this is almost an early example of a kind of prosperity gospel. In chapters 38 through 42, God speaks to Job and restores him. God knows that Job has received incorrect guidance from his friends. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God fittingly declares that humans do not know everything. I'm going to say that again. God fittingly declares that humans, you and me, do not know everything. Then he humbles Job by asking a series of questions that could never be answered by anyone other than the Almighty God. For example, have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. God then brings him to an understanding that believes the believers don't always know what God is doing in their lives. It's just a real simple summary. <laughs> but I wonder if you can relate in any way to some of that summary in your own life. Are things going sideways? Have you been losing family, wealth, health? Are, are, you, are you battling with depression, with anxiety, with other issues? Are you battling with anger? Are you in a pit this morning? Again, perhaps some of you aren't, but I can guarantee that you know somebody who is. So today is really relevant for all of us. And so we dive into scripture. We turn to Job 27, 1 through 6. And this particular reading in Job comes after uh, Job has lost his wealth, his health, <laughs> his family. Uh, th this is the point where his friends have essentially been telling him that he is ill and everything's going wrong because of his sin, because of his brokenness. They are telling him essentially that, you know, it's only because of him turning from God that God is punishing him. If Job were to listen to the advice of his friends, he might as well have turned his back on God. I wonder if we ever have any advice from friends or the world that says, yeah, maybe God doesn't love you enough or God's not for you enough or it's because of this that God's not there and maybe because of some of those things, you're kind of like, well, maybe I need to turn my back on God. And I've had plenty of 
friends in my life who have said to me, God's not for you. Come this way. Perhaps just me. But we read Job 27, 1 through 6. It says, And Job continued his discourse. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit that you are in the right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live." We see Job in the midst of his friends telling him, let go of God. He's, listen, you messed up and that's why he's punishing you. He's like, I will never, until I, until I die, while I have breath in my lungs and in my nostrils, I will not believe your lies. I will not deny my God. We see that he won't accept the non-godly advice. We see that our desperation sometimes can lead to us believing anything from anyone if we take our eyes off of God. If Job did not have his eyes on God, if Job did not have his eyes on the Almighty, he could have heard the advice, he could have heard the opinions and been like, you know what, you're right. You're so right. God's not for me. Forget this God. Imagine how bad that could have turned out for Job. Imagine if he would have accepted the friend's advice and accepted, accepted the advice from his wife. Go kill yourself. You're not worth it. And the thing is that we hear that quite dramatically, but there are people, perhaps not in our fellowship, but there are people on this earth that believe that it is better off with them dead. Who hear advice from others, from the voice of the enemy in their heads, from other people that say, you're worthless, why are you here? Get out of my face. And they interpret that as going, you know what, I'm, why even live? There are people, we, some of us are in pits, and I'm not thinking of taking my life again, I'm not trying to scare nobody, don't pray, yes, but it's... Don't want to scare anybody, but life is real. When we are desperate, when we are desperate, we will believe anything if our eyes aren't on God. It seems like such a simple solution. Focus your eyes on God. Run the race with perseverance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's so simple. But it's so crucial because the moment you stop seeing what God sees in you, the moment you stop hearing what God is saying to you, the moment you start listening to the worldly advice, the devil's advice, you then start realizing actually there are other options that are not godly, which you are so desperate that you might even just try. But I'm here to tell you that they're not worth it. I don't know how desperate you may be this morning. I don't know how desperate your friend may be this morning. But can I say that the only voice, the only advice that we should be taking is that of God's. And hey, that might come from you, but the advice that you give, make sure it is from God. The advice that you share, make sure that it is with love, with grace, with mercy from the Lord, by the Spirit that lives in you. And the advice that you receive, make sure that it is from God. Because if the advice that you're receiving is to do anything running from God, I can promise you it's not going to end great. I can promise you that God does not want to distance himself from you. He does not want you to distance yourself from him. God wants to be close to you. 
So what lies are you on the verge of believing? What lies are others on the verge of believing? Do we need to refocus our eyes on God? Job is such, such a good example because he is so focused. He's like, I don't care what you're saying, that as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as his breath is in my nostrils, I'm going to declare God. I'm even, he even describes it in that point, he, surely God, as God lives, who has denied me justice. Like He's at a point where he's like angry at God. He's like, God, my justice, where is it? Anybody ever feel angry at God? Perhaps just me or one or two. Maybe we would admit it openly. But we can get angry at God. And believe it or not, his shoulders are broad enough. <laughs> He'll then rebuke me and tell me, Adrian, your anger is really not well placed at me, but feel free, I'll take it. And then I'll tell you you're wrong, but let me just take it for now. He's in a place where he's like, man, my, 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 my lips will not say anything wicked and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit that you are in the right. He's saying to his friends, till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will not deny my God. I will stand firm in who I am and what I believe because I know God is true. He is real and he is with me. Even though the justice I'm seeking I've not received, even though the, 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 the things I'm crying out for I've not seen, I believe that he is who he says that he is. And so I will hold on to that. It's rough, isn't it? It's heavy, isn't it? Y'all are really thinking, man, could be having a cup of tea right now. We must remember that we, we must remember, because <laughs> our desperation, this point of desperation really truly comes from a point of we are feeling that we are in the pits. I'm in the darkest of valleys. I am here and there's nowhere else for me to go. But we have to remember that actually we are not in the pits, but walking through the pits going through the pits. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But he goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff that come for me. Even though I walk through. Nowhere in scripture does it deny that actually you're in the valley of the shadow of death, where it is dark, where it is difficult, where you might be going, oh my goodness, but it does not say in scripture that you are stood there planted. It says that you are walking through. So let me tell you right now that if you feel you're in a pit, hey, you might be surrounded, but you are not stood still. You are walking through that valley of the shadow of death. You are walking through that pit and you will come out the other side. As you keep your eyes on Jesus, as you focus on him, you will come out the other side. You know how I can assure you that? Because our God is a God of salvation. He's a God of freedom. He's got a love of grace, of mercy, because we celebrated it this morning that he's done it for us. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't know what it looks like for you to come out the other side of that valley. I don't know what it looks like to come out the other side of the pit. You might have your own views and expectations. This is what I'm praying for, God. Job did. Where's my justice? He had a view of what that justice looked like. I can promise you it didn't turn out the way he expected It doesn't turn out the way he expects. Beyond his imagination. 
but we're not stuck in the pit. And, and the truth is the matter, it feels like it. I know it does. I've been there and, and I've, I've got friends who are there. Like I said, I just this past week and it broke me. It broke me to sit across from a friend of mine who was so distraught, who's only, he felt the only option was to self-medicate with something that is not at all godly, that is taking him away from his family, from his righteousness, from who he is made to be. And it broke me. And you know why it broke me? Because it was breaking him because he thought that he had no way out. He thought he was trapped. And you know what? <laughs> he shared with me and he said, Adrian, I came to you because I knew that you wouldn't judge me. And that was one of those moments which like felt kind of good, but at the same time broke me. Because this is a guy who was surrounded by Christians, who's surrounded by brothers and sisters. And he felt that the only one that he could come to was not in his church fellowship, was not in his area. He had to come to me because he thought, he believed I wouldn't judge him. And you know what? It's not my place to judge. But it made me start thinking, are there, and it really hurts me, y'all. Are there people around you that you won't go and share with, that you won't go and unburden yourself with, that you won't go through the valley of shadow of death with because you think they're going to judge you? Have we messed up that much? We have a responsibility to us. It's heavy, I know. We have a responsibility to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to come alongside one another. And yes, there's teaching, and yes, there's rebuking, and yes, there's all these other things that we see in Scripture, but nowhere is there judgment. Nowhere is there the point that we can't come and share with one another. And I've I've always said I'm very privileged that the role that I have as pastor means that most of y'all will share with me. Not all of y'all. Some of y'all probably have chosen not to for a thousand and one reasons, and that's fine. But most of y'all, because I'm the pastor, you will. And that's how I feel honored and privileged. But I've said before, look around. And there are people that are online. There are people that would be here this morning that can't because they've got COVID or there's this and the other. We are journeying stuff, but we're called to journey it together. Please don't not share with someone because of fear of something else. And if, you're, if someone fears you judging them, then y'all got it. We got to look at ourselves and come before the Lord and say, what is going on? Because we're called to walk with one another. But he believes, my friend believed that he had no other choice, that he was trapped. But we have to remember that we're not in the pits, we're walking through them. We're walking through the pits. What pit do you feel that you're stuck in, but you have to remember that you're walking through? And the thing is, is some of the stuff I'm sharing is big, and you might be thinking, my pit isn't that big. It's fine. Your pit might be really small compared to his pit, but it's your pit. You feel like you're stuck in it. It might just be your foot stuck in a hole, but you're still not going anywhere. So walk through it. It's not about comparison. It's not, oh, my life's so much easier than that. It's not about, what are you going through that you can journey through with God? Scripture specifically speaks of that movement, of that trajectory of change, of moving forward. And how do we persevere and keep on going and not staying stuck? We must recognize God in all situations and remember the bigger picture. We need to remember the bigger picture. We need that perspective for perseverance. Last week, Chris spoke about perseverance and sharing the good news. And he said, actually, one of the reasons we should be sharing that good news is because we have the bigger picture. We know how it ends. We know what's going to happen. But that same thing can be said about us feeling stuck 
and having to persevere while we walk through the pits. The way I know that you can walk through it, the way I know that we can make it through the pits, the way I know that you can journey with whoever's feeling stuck in the pits through to the other side is because we have the bigger picture. We do. We know that the best is yet to come. We know that uh, what we remember today, because of Jesus, we have salvation. We have eternal life. We know that we know what is happening. And if you haven't read the end of the book, can I suggest you read the end of the book? God wins. God wins. God wins. And when God wins, there is no pain, there's no suffering, there's no addiction. When God wins, we are fully set free. God wins. But if we forget that, if we're blinded of that, if the advice that we receive tells us different from that, if we receive lies from the enemy that say, hey, God doesn't win, then it becomes that much more difficult. It becomes something so heavy. We will make it through just have to remind ourselves of the bigger picture. So let me ask you this. Do you know how it ends? Do you believe how it ends? Are you holding on to that belief and that truth in all situations? Does somebody near you need to be reminded of the bigger picture? So we're going to turn to Job 42 now, and I'm going to read all of Job 42. Maybe you're thinking, oh, goodness, he's going to stop talking his own words. He can just read scripture for a bit. Oh, breathe. Job 42 is the last <clears throat> chapter in Job, and uh, I'm going to read all of it. And this kind of comes after God speaking <laughs> to Job kind of really calling him out do you think that you you think do you know stuff like really you think you're answer me this i would have loved to have been in that conversation just a little fly on the wall because man again read job job 42 says this and job replies to the lord i know that you can do all things no purpose of yours can be thwarted you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things that I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak it. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, and I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, um, Bildad, the Shuhite, and so far the 
Namathite, great names, there you go, did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble that the Lord had brought in on him and gave um, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also, had a sev- uh, he, had, he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter named Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw the children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. Job's journey of suffering leads to the question, is God enough? That's part of his journey. The wholeness of Job leads to that question, is God enough? As Job loses money, work, family, health, friends, part of what he is faced with is the question, is God enough? You have nothing but God. Is he enough? Let me ask you that question. You don't have to answer out loud. There's no pressure. Is God enough for you? Amen. Is he really, though? If you had nothing, your money stripped away, your family stripped away, your health stripped away, would he be enough? My hope and prayer is that yes, he would. And I would answer with confidence right now, yes, he would. But we don't know for sure. I I don't know for sure. I can't be that judge for you and I can't be that judge for me. All I can say is that I need to question myself on a regular basis. Does my life reflect that God is enough in my circumstance? Does my life reflect that actually I've chosen him above all else and no matter what else happens, he is enough? Or am I chasing money? Am I chasing things that aren't of him? Am I chasing a dream that is not from him, that is not my calling, it is not from him? Am I chasing cars? Am I chasing a relationship that is unhealthy for me, that is not from him? Am I chasing a lie that I've bought from the world or from the enemy? Because if if you're chasing anything other than God, I dare say that actually perhaps God isn't enough for you. And that's a harsh statement. It's not one that I would ever speak over you. But if I'm honest with myself, there are moments in my life that don't reflect that God is enough for me. And he should be. I'm quick to say, God is enough. But I don't know that I'm always quick to live that out. Like I mentioned, this week has been a challenging week for me, the last two weeks. I've mentioned the fact that I have an addiction to food. I've mentioned the fact that if we want to use the term I used earlier, I self-medicate with food. The last two weeks have been rubbish. I can promise you that in those moments, my actions do not reflect the fact that God is enough because I'm stuffing food in my face. 
to get something that I'm not going to get out of God. But the truth is, if I turned to God, he would give me all that I need. But I'm in that moment reflecting that God isn't enough. And you guys will turn around and say, Adrian, you're not fat. You're just big boned. And oh, it's a thing that, oh, it's a, it's a joke. Ha ha, let's laugh about it. The reality is, is in the moments where I should be coming to him first and putting him as my number one, what I am doing is saying, God, you aren't enough. So give me a burger. God, you aren't enough. So give me some chocolate. God, you aren't enough. So give. Now that might not be your thing, but that's my thing. But in that moment, I'm telling you, and you'd probably say, if you know me well enough, you'd probably mean it. I hope, I hope and pray that you say, Adrian loves Jesus. God is certainly enough for a man. He's a man of faith. I'm hoping at least one of y'all would hopefully see that reflection of Jesus. Because if not, man, I got some work to do. But the reality is that there are moments in my life where God is not reflected as being enough. That's not my heart's desire. My heart's desire is that he would be enough. But I'm broken and I fall to sin. And I buy the lie from the enemy and from the world that this will make me feel better. We call it comfort food. Really? Comfort to what? Comfort from what? For me. I'm not telling y'all stop eating. Like y'all have your comfort food and enjoy it. But for me, it's not comfort food. For me, it's denying God food. For me, it's saying, God, you're not enough for me. I'm going to find my substance, my solace, my comfort in this when I should be finding it in God. So what has the enemy or the world convinced you of is greater, more important than, you need more than that of God? But we only need God. And as we recognize that God is enough and we make it through the valley, the pit, we are blessed beyond our expectations. We read in Job. And like I said, it doesn't end the way he expected. He was just looking for some justice. And he got more than just justice. Literally, he listened and he was, he, I love in verse 6 of 42, it says, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He has this moment where he recognizes that actually even though he thought he had everything with God, he's like, oh my gosh, God is that much more than what I already thought. He's that much more. And in that moment, he's like, I'm not even worthy. Like, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And God doesn't turn around and say, yeah, you worthless so-and-so. Mate, it's about time you recognize that you're not worthy. It's about he doesn't say that. He accepts his repentance. He accepts his, his, his moment of recognizing who God is and says, let me bless you. And don't get it twisted. Sometimes... Prosperity gospel preachers will preach using this scripture that actually, as you give, as you suffer, God will bless you and will bless you in abundance. I don't know how God's going to bless you. It might be material. It might not be. He knows what you need. But to Job, he gave him what he needed and some. As Job recognized that God is enough, as he made it through that pit, he was blessed beyond his expectations. And the same is for us. As we prioritize him, as we recognize that we can make it through, that we're not stuck in the pit, but we are journeying through the valley of the shadow of death, we will be blessed. That blessing might come in forms of healing. That blessing might come in, for, might come in forms of, of provision. That blessing might come in forms of simply being set free from something that you've been chained to. 
might be a big blessing, a small blessing, but you will be blessed as you prioritize and put him first. A broken record, I know. So, how do we persevere in the pits? How do we focus? What do we do? We just have to focus on Jesus and recognize that he is enough. It goes back to our verse for the year. You might be thinking, well, why are you preaching the same verse from a different day? It's kind of the same thing, but it's also across scripture. If you're journeying through a pit, the only way that you can persevere is by keeping your eyes on Jesus. The only way you can persevere is by focusing on him, by going through to the end, by knowing, hey, he is the one. There is no solution of man that can be better than what God has done. I can't even give you a great piece of advice that is greater than what Jesus can give you. Now, I hope and pray that anything I would give you would be centered in him. But you need to discern that. You need to pray that. You don't need me. You need Jesus. But we're called to journey through with one another. It all ties in. Because God knew where we were going before he ever gave us the series. Job's friendships were not the greatest because they weren't keeping their eyes on Jesus or on God. They didn't know of Jesus at the time, I guess. And so therefore, if we journey together, because you heard us talk about sharing our burdens, the fact that we're called to journey together, so we're going to share our burdens. The reality is that we need to follow God together. We remembered him together. We drank together as a representation that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're going to journey together, we need to make sure that all of our eyes are fixed on Jesus. That as I'm going and you're going, we're going together. We'll make it through the pit. Your pit, my pit, whoever's pit. We'll make it through as our eyes are on Jesus. We will make it through anything. Mike, if you want to come up, we're going to end with some worship and reflection. But I'm just going to say it one more time. You will make it through your pit. You will if you keep your eyes on Jesus. You will make it through your pit if you journey with those around you. You will make it through your pit if you recognize that God is enough. And if you don't have a pit, whoever you're with will make it through their pit as you point them to Jesus. They will make it through their pit as they walk alongside you following Jesus. They will make it through their pit as they come to the realization for themselves that there's no one greater than Jesus. I don't know where all of y'all are. But I firmly believe, and I, I, I hate, I, I refuse to believe that this morning's message was just for me. <laughs> Oftentimes I walk up and say, listen, God may have been speaking just to me and y'all just get to listen to it. I refuse to believe that today because I don't think it was just for me. I believe it's probably for more of us than we care to admit. Because when we say, oh, hey, how are you? Welcome. I'm good, thanks. All good. See you next week. Bye. But if we're honest, how are we? Well, you know what? God is good. Don't deny that. But life is pretty shocking at the moment. And don't mishear me 
You don't have to pour yourself out to every single person you come in contact with. I said it before and I'll say it again. Jesus had his 12 from his 12. He had his three from his three. He had his one. But you are called to share it with one another. You'll make it through. I'll make it through. We will make it through because God is good. So yes, heavy, but I hope you hear the hope in the heaviness. I hope you see the light in the darkness that you will make it through. We're going to just pray. And then we're going to sing. We're going to wait on God. and we're going to see what he wants to do. And I firmly believe that there'll be some of us that, want to, that are going to meet with God this morning. That are going to hear something, be challenged by something. Perhaps, perhaps even there's breakthrough from the pit that we're in this morning. Or perhaps there's simply recognition of the pit that we're in this morning. With that, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you first and foremost, God. We thank you that you're an awesome God. We thank you. <laughs> we thank you that you knew exactly what was going to be happening today and every other day. We thank you, Lord, that when, when, when you spoke this series, Lord, you knew where we would be going. Lord, I thank you that we can come before you with all of our mess. I thank you, Lord, that we can come and speak our truth, our brokenness, our anger, our confusion, and Lord, that you hear us. But I thank you, Lord, that we are not just stood still. We're not called to just stand still in the middle of the pit. But Lord, that with you, as we fix our eyes on you, we can walk through the valley. And so, Lord, I pray that as we as we leave later today, Lord, we would have left this place truly knowing your presence with us in our pits, knowing your presence with those that we are journeying alongside in their pits. But Lord, that we would be journeying through with you. Lord, I pray that you would be enough for us. I pray that you would be enough for every single one of us in every single situation that our lives would reflect that God, I pray that you would be enough for me and that my life would reflect that you are simply enough. Lord, we need you desperately. We need you for things that we talk about. We need you for things that we don't talk about. We need you for the things we know about and we need you for the things unknown. Thank you, God, that you don't give up on us. Lord, I pray with everything in me that we would not give up on you. That we would push in, Lord. Lord, that we would not believe lies of the enemy, that we would not believe lies of the world, but Lord, that we would believe your truth. Lord, we need you. Lord, we ask for more of you and less of us. In Jesus' name, amen.